Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Good afternoon, and welcome to America's Heroes Group Roundtable with partner National Nurses United. It's Saturday, January 15th, 2022. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. I am host Cliff Kelly. And I'm his co-host, Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold. The executive producer is Glenda Smith. Our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Production. Uh, an incredible, incredible individual here. And we also have our partner on the phone, Adelina Marshall at the VA Mental Health Nurse. And also we uh, give tribute to uh, Martin Luther King for Monday, for his holiday, right. uh, for world peace. And we hope that this nation can heal under the guidance of uh, some of our spiritual leaders uh, in the movements, all kinds of movements in this country. But make us whole again. And today's discussion is going to be the Omicron variant crisis and how it is affecting nursing care. We know there's some uh, shortages in the healthcare field, and uh, Adelina Marshall has been talking about this before uh, the pandemic, I know, and I know she's talking about it now. So how are you doing, Adelina? I'm fine, and thank you very much for uh, inviting me in on this discussion and for having this show available to our listening audience. Oh, sure. Yeah, tell us about this. So how is the uh, Omicron variant uh, actually causing this healthcare crisis because we hear about it in the general public, you know, on the ne- on Channel 7, Channel 5, Channel 2, all the different media stations, CNN, CNBC, Fox, all of them. Uh, but we don't really hear about it from the VA perspective in particular. So, you know, tell us what's going on right now uh, with the uh, nursing care issues. So the VA is impacted just like uh, private sector with lack of nursing. Many of our nurses are being infected with the COVID and the variants um, due to many of our patients who are not vaccinated, uh, who have not gotten their boosters, who have not gotten their second um, vaccination. And so when they come in, our nurses are exposed to this. Mm -hmm. Many of our specialties, such as ICU, um, same-day surgery, mental health, OR, cardiac, nurse anesthetist, uh, cancer treatment nurses, they're out. These are specialty, and I don't think the public realize that a nurse is not a nurse, that we specialize. It's almost like having a mechanic who maybe works on a Ford, she's a very good car, versus maybe a Tesla. We're all not mm. specialized in every area, and these areas need uh, specialized nurses. So when these patients are coming in with COVID, our nurses are being infected. We're already short-staffed, which, as you stated, we've been um, Mm -hmm. ringing the alarm on this for years. And now we're even uh, shorter because we started off with a deficit. We don't have staffing ratios, which I don't know where farm and insurance companies aren't looking at this and looking at the staffing in hospitals because nurses are the one who educate our patients. And once they're educated and we do a good job, then they won't be repetitively coming in. They won't forget to take their insulin. 
they um, we will educate them on the importance of having their vaccine and, and getting their boosters, uh, wearing protective masks. And so the crisis um, is affecting us also. And many of our nurses who are on sick leave, they're having to come back to work early now with just the latest changes in the CDC guidelines. Those nurses also are caregivers, elder care, child care, head of household. So when they're affected, they may also infect their families. And then that adds another burden on them because now they got to decide, am I going to stay home and take care of my my kids and my family, my mother, my father, grandmothers, or am I going to go back into the hospital and try to care for our patients? And nurses are dedicated caregivers. And so this causes emotional impact on us. The yeah. emotional impact also of mental health is related to the amount of patients who are dying in our care. We know that many of these patients do not have to die. But we know that many of them that are dying are those who are not vaccinated. Hmm. So that impacts us emotionally. Oh, almost it certainly definitely. would, yeah. certainly, yeah. Because you're in a caring profession right. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing you said that was really kind of, uh, you know, it makes everyone have to stop and think. So nurses aren't always trained to do the same particular role. So if you have uh, only a certain number of surgical nurses or if you only have a certain number of cardiology nurses, that can be a heavy impact because whereas in a general nursing pool, if you're, if you're taking care of people on a medicine ward, you may be able to rotate your nurses. But if you lose only the, the handful of people that you have, in a, you're, you're actually at a really, uh, you're at a choke point, right, uh, with that particular right. service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my unit had to close just recently. We anticipated being closed for minimum of three weeks or more because many of our staff was infected with COVID, and we're already short, so we couldn't get enough RNs and other support staff to continue caring for the patients that we had. So we had to discharge them. And this was an extended care um, area, so these patients can go back into the community, but this is mental health, and that interrupted preparing them for going into the community. We had to discharge them early. And and um, we've had to close other areas. We had to close some of our clinics to pull those nurses out of clinic. Nurses from uh, who are doing telehealth at home, uh, cause, calling to check up on our patients to offer education. We had to pull them to go onto our uh, cardiac floors. So um, in our long-term care uh, areas, we're very short-staffed on that. And now with all of the um, machinery and things like that, it's more high-tech. So that's another one. If you're not trained for that area, you can't go. If you don't have advanced uh, cardiac training, you know, advanced for support, if someone has a major heart attack, there are certain units you can't work. So Mm -hmm. we have actually even called in our management to come and, and bathe patients and to help feed them. Because the public doesn't realize all the things that nurses do. Yeah. If you just work yeah. a few hours in our in our shoes that you would see. We also have a problem with funding uh, for educators. Many of our educators have left education to go back to the bedside. So we don't have enough educators to educate our nursing staff. And then there's no funding, uh, actually, also for our nurses. So... 
that's another thing I would call on, on pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies to also review that, to maybe set up program where some of those dollars can go into the education of our nurses and providing us more um, nurses uh, in the field. Wow, that's an, that's an incredible viewpoint, uh, you know, and people don't think about these things unless you're, like you said, boots on ground and you understand what the day-to-day is as a nurse and uh, what we, you're actually doing. It's a tremendous amount of work, tremendous responsibility, oh, and yeah. you should be getting support. I, I know that, um, you know, a lot of things, even in the, you know, in the private sector, they're facing the same kinds of issues, right? With, uh, they're facing the same kind of issues, yeah. but... Yeah. Private sector mm-hmm. has also is on Wall Street, mm-hmm. and Wall Street impacts healthcare mm-hmm. because they're looking at the dollar. They're okay. looking at those patients uh, getting out of that hospital, and we're tasked with caring for them and being an advocate for them, being a voice. They're not ready for discharge, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um, you know Wall Street is looking at healthcare as a business versus maybe some of the nonprofit like your state and uh, county and federal uh, hospitals. They're nonprofit mm-hmm. and they've taken the profit out of healthcare, but there's a lot of profit in healthcare. So the budgets that they have, the staffing methodology, even for us, lacks uh, uh, impact staffing ratios. Staffing methodology is a form of budgetry. It's not showing the acuity of those patients, and we're getting patients with more high acuity rates, more comorbidities. Um, I'm not just getting a patient who has COVID. I'm getting a patient who may have high blood pressure, who already got um, uh, lung problems, who are diabetic, who may have cancer and also get COVID. Mm -hmm. So you're not just looking at that one disease process. You're looking at a mixture of a lot of things that you need highly skilled staff to care for them. Well, you're absolutely right because January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. Right. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and those poor souls who are suffering with trying to recover from cancer, trying to get their um, their therapy, their uh, infusions. Our infusion clinics are short. Mm-hmm. because now we don't have enough staff to cover them. And I certainly wouldn't want to be a cancer patient in the hospital right now because we have to pull and make sure those patients are cared for. You know, their lives are on the line. If they miss a treatment, that can impact on them and their future and their family's future. You know, so, one, one, you know one thing, too, you know, as you were mentioning it before, um, Adelina, is that this is a mental health crisis as well. You know, we always have a tendency to f- focus on the physical, the, you know, the ICU admission, the ventilator, and, you know, those things. It's very easy to, to get sucked into this thinking about things physically. But the mental health impact is really tremendous, too. So as time goes on, as we come out of this pandemic, we're coming out, we, we measure the wave of the, of the spread of this virus, but we don't really measure the wave of the spread of the uh, of the mental health issues that are coming out as as well, and I, I you know I wonder you know before um, you had talked about uh, in a prior show you had mentioned about 
the need to have some kind of an advocacy voice for nurses for making sure you have enough staffing and those kinds of things. But as we're going into the future, what do you see coming down the line, you know, from the post-COVID syndrome or, you know, if this does cause more chronic diseases in patients as we're seeing reports coming out of the Mayo Clinic and from Harvard and other institutions that uh, we're seeing cardiac involvement, kidney involvement, all those things. So it can maybe potentially Mm -hmm. make underlying existing chronic diseases worse. But there are also people who had no pre-existing conditions that they can actually have now the onset of a chronic uh, ailment. So it sounds like you'll need even more people. So, you know, what do you think needs to be done coming out of this pandemic? So one of the things is we need staffing ratios. Because if you start at a deficit and say we have four RNs on a floor for 20 patients, that's giving them, uh, you know, five patients each. And then there's no charge nurse able to come and assist. The charge nurse got to take one of those patients. We're looking at the value of the nurses. We want to be part of decision-making. We don't want doctors, sorry, doctors, but we don't want doctors just writing orders and telling us what to do. We want to collaborate with them because we have firsthand interaction with those patients. We know the rhythm of their breathing. We know where they might spike in one area or or not. And so we want to be part of the collaboration in caring for those patients. We don't just want a doctor saying, well, I, I, you know, I want this and this. And we're like, yes, doctor, but Mm -hmm. can you reconsider? Because this is what is is going on. And we want the medical field to understand Mm -hmm. that and the, and our listening audience that we advocate for our patients. We see things. We're like the canary in the cage Mm-hmm. in the um, coal mine. Mm-hmm. We see things before it it gets blown up, and now we got to have a cold or a, a rapid response. We can see this coming, and we need, you know, the profession to stand back now and reevaluate how things were done and how things now should be done. We need to learn from this. We need our, our public, as, as well as many of our healthcare professionals, to understand the importance of um, vaccinations. I mean, we all know that. We've all been vaccinated for the unknown. We, we don't know a lot of times what's going in our food, but we eat it um, in, in our drinks, in our water system. But we trust in that. So we have to trust also our scientists and our doctors who have taken a lot of time to do this research and to help fight um, this virus. And as we know now, we got through um, COVID-19. I mean, we're still going through that, but now there's a, a variant. And so this could be an ongoing situation that we now have to be prepared. We have to get our nurses educated. We need money um available for those educations and for educators. Our educators are leaving to go to the bedside because they paid higher at the bedside than they are in education. Well, that's, that's, and we don't get to say <laughs> we're not coming into the hospital today right. like some businesses and stuff can. We don't get to say that. We know our public needs our care, but they need us too. So they have to understand the value of keeping us healthy. 
That's right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, uh, you know, most people uh, talk about, well, we don't know what's in that vaccine and that kind of thing. And then uh, I I always say, well, you don't know what's in a snack bag that you just ate, you know, (laughs) those potato (laughs) chips or whatever, (laughs) you know, those (laughs) flaming uh, whatever they are, (laughs) Uh, food things you have, the additives and that kind of thing. What is this this whole thing doing, Atlanta, to your profession, which is so, so important. So what it is doing, it is chasing people away from the profession. We have nurses that are retiring that could still be in the work environment, such as I. I'm a retirement age, but I'm still in there because I know there's a a need for me right now. It's chasing the younger uh, males and females who want to go and who have considered nursing, but with all the news coverage, is scaring them. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have about, yeah. yet, and they're worried that they might make a mistake. And uh, so it's scaring them away. And we need them to understand to not to be afraid. Firemen aren't afraid. Police officers aren't afraid. Um, you know, pilots and flight attendants. We still have a duty to the public and to go into nursing or the medical field. You have a certain personification, I guess, to say that this is a calling for you. And this is no longer a job. It's a profession. Mm -hmm. And it's an honorable profession. And we would encourage other uh, young people who are thinking about coming in, don't be scared, Uh, please come. You know, when COVID-19 started, we were worried about having um, protective equipment. Well, we have that now. And um, Biden has also uh, working with insurance companies to make sure that the insurance companies are doing their part by um, not turning people away for care and uh, approving the care for them coming in, especially in our low income and communities that are impacted more um, with COVID. Um, I think we need more education and we need these nurses to help provide um, health education to the public. So please don't get turned off. Don't go into banking. Go, you know, come into the medical field. We need you. Oh, right, right. Certainly do. Yeah, so that's that's a really a, a great great point, and you know, as with looking at the um, issues surrounding uh, mental health in particular, you know, when you were talking before, I was thinking that you know, if you look at a surgical team or a cardiology team, right, the nurses and the doctors yeah. really work very closely together. The technicians, the you know, the people who are doing uh, the different scans and those types of things, uh, you, you know, you know, looking for DVTs or whatever. And those people uh, sort of work as a team. In the primary care setting, we need to have the same thing. Mm -hmm. We need to have a much more orchestrated teamwork approach and a much more collaborative one in order to keep to do the thing. The the ultimate goal is having the best possible care for the outcome for that person. And that's what everyone uh, should expect. And that's uh, basically what we should be giving to these uh, men and women who have served in in that uniform. Uh, they deserve the best care that they can possibly get, and that requires people to be collaborating and open about what's going on, doing the best thing they can to get that person down the road. 
Um, what, what do you think has been the biggest challenge in uh, the mental health sector? Because I was mentioning before that everyone is so physically focused. Uh, I'm not sure of how that is affecting, you know, the balance of um, you know, funding and, you know, the, the attention that's being paid to the mental health side. Well, two things. I think uh, the patients have got to be part of that team in healthcare. We don't want to leave them out while we can provide them with all the information. They are also the ones that have to be uh, aware of what their body is telling them and be uh, committed to their health care also. Mm-hmm. And as far as mental health, I think the greatest one is depression that mm-hmm. many times is overlooked and people don't know what depression is and how to identify it. And I have had to, you know, pull nurses and make sure they take a break because I can see, I can hear their tone. I can see in their face that they may be at the verge of trying to cry you know, and things, and they just need a break. They need more than a half an hour and then two 15-minute breaks. Sometimes they just need a break from a break. Just give me 20 minutes to have a cup of coffee. You realize we can't even sometimes go to the bathroom, let alone get a cup of coffee or, Mm -hmm. you know, have a refreshing drink or even water. So many of the nurses end up with problems related to not having enough fluids themselves. That's right. Because they can't take a break. I mean, not too long ago, I had a report of two nurses, two RNs with 23 patients mm-hmm. and a tech. And they had to go around and figure out how to prioritize this care to these patients. Wow. Wow. You know, today I'm expecting five mm-hmm. RNs on my floor, but I'm getting call-ins because now they're having symptoms or they have tested positive for COVID. Um, Patients who are on the transplant list, people don't understand this, but if they come down with COVID, they're not going to get that transplant. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's like delayed, and, and if you have an organ that's available, you need to put it in, right? You need to, it's, it's, right. it's a very, on a time schedule. You know, very go tight time schedule. Somebody else. Right, right. right. And, and they wait a long time for those organs to, um, to come available to them, and, and they are on those transplant lists for years. It's not like, yeah. oh, I need a transplant, and they can walk, mm-hmm. work me in next week. It don't work like that. Yeah, so right. those patients are, need protection. They need protection from their family. You're going out, and, and here's your father, mother, brother, sister, somebody in that household that may need a transplant, and you're not wearing a mask, or you haven't been vaccinated. How is that fair? That's not fair. That's not. That is absolutely not. And people should be treated in a much better way than that. Um, and Adelina, I'm so glad that you are on the front lines because – uh, what you do for our veterans every day. And when you were talking about that, you know, uh, you can't, you don't even have the time to go to a restroom. I understand that part of it. And it's eight, you know, but eight hours a day is what most people work and they have a time limit and a schedule, right? But when you're there and right. you're doing what you're doing, eight can turn into 12 and you don't even think about it. <laughs> and, right, uh, right. You know, yeah, a lot yeah, of so those 12 hours are literally turning into 16 and 18 hours. Yes. Where literally you can just go home and go to sleep and get up and come back the next day because we're so short. And like I tell the staff, I mean, they're concerned, but I can't make bodies. 
right. I can't. That's right. Adelina, you have yes. done a great show. Thank you so yeah, much. But I want to thank, thank our partner, Nurse uh, National <laughs> Nurses United, yes. Adelina Marshall. We will have you back. You know that our VA mental health uh, RN extraordinaire. <laughs> Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.